Okay, go ahead. Okay. Hello, and welcome to The Deep End, uh, where my co-host and I, Villa, I'm Andy, and we're going to go into... Actually, today we're going to go into a little more detail than we have in the past, because well, this is a particular interest of, of mine with sort of the stuff that I do in the laboratory. So today we're going to be talking about fatigue. So, Villa, are you feeling very fatigued today? I have to admit that uh, I haven't spent an hour trying to get the sound to work, and we're only selling one microphone. Uh, I would say I'm very somewhat fatigued. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping in the future, once we figure out and have a system about uh, doing this uh, thing, that uh, the quality will become better and better and better. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. So. Now, fatigue's a bit of a, a nebulous and very wide-ranging term. Like you can talk about, oh, I'm feeling very fatigued today. So you can talk about like the like long-term fatigue from doing lots of exercise or fatigue from not sleeping enough. I'm going to narrow it down a little bit today, and we're just going to talk about muscular fatigue. So we can split muscular fatigue into two different categories. Um, so but first, we need a definition of fatigue. So there's quite a few out there. So I've just got this one from the internet. Muscle fatigue is a symptom where your muscles decrease in their ability to produce force. So you can think about that, yeah, is, that the tiredness is just in your muscle is an inability to continue pushing at the same force or pushing for longer. So generally, like say you're just holding a barbell doing in a bicep curl position, eventually your muscles will get tired and you won't be able to produce the same amount of force, mm -hmm. whether it's maximal force or something in the middle. Mm -hmm. Two different types of fatigue. There's metabolic fatigue, which I think is easier to understand. Did you have a read through this earlier? Mm -hmm. All right, yeah, yeah. So metabolic fatigue, easier to understand. It means your muscles just don't have enough fuel to contract at the same level. So endurance athletes, if you're a runner or a cyclist or cross-country skier, We'll all recognise this as different things, like the wall, in cycling we call it bonk, French call it la fringale. So basically just when your blood sugar drops too low and your muscles just, and also affect your brain as well, that you can't think straight when your blood sugar drops that low. So when you see marathon runners weaving around at the end of a race, they've hit the wall. It just means they've exhausted the reserves of carbohydrates. Sprinters and middle distance athletes have a different type of metabolic fatigue where they run out of glycogen and they slow down, but they don't completely shut down like you do with a complete drop in blood sugar. Yeah, and swimming I've noticed that as well, uh, especially at training camps when you're expected to swim two hours straight and you start out quite well, you have a good warm up, you have a good midway through. And toward the end, you really start questioning yourself why you're swimming and your muscle is really, you know, sore and your energy levels are low and you just have to push through it. It's a very different level of fatigue uh, as, say, wheelchair basketball, which we played last night. You yeah, joined much us. more explosive, isn't it? You joined us at the Monday night practice and even though the whole team wasn't there, you saw the difference of speed on how fast the tempo yeah, was. Yeah, there was a couple of, couple of young guys there. I remember 
it was one of the guys I was doing my the equivalent of my sprint in a wheelchair and he was managing to dribble and pass the ball around his back and still go 25% faster than I was and it was really hard work was it our teammate uh, yes yeah Kepe Kepe yeah yeah yeah, he was he was incredibly. Good. He listens to his podcast, by the way. So shout oh, out to him. So oh. thank you for carrying uh, Andy here to the victory last night. <laughs> it was quite close. The first game we didn't do so well, and then the second game we won, and the third game it was like tied all the oh, way to right. the end. Yeah, so. watching Kepa, is it, he does this, like a shimmy with his hips, is yeah, it, yeah, like to try and avoid the oncoming chair. Yeah, and I tried that, and I just thought. I'm really going to hurt myself. Yeah, it depends. It, I can do it as well. It, you need to have adequate speed beforehand and you have to know exactly what direction you're about to turn. Or yeah, do. I didn't have the confidence for that. And uh, if, you, if you do it wrong, you can fall over sideways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. But today I'm going to try and talk about neural fatigue, which is, so when you have very high intensities for your muscles, like weight training, mm-hmm. the interesting part is where does the fatigue happen? You, you'd normally think, oh, it's just your muscle gets tired. Yeah. But it's actually a little bit of the muscle, also the nerves, and also your brain. Your brain's going to act like the regulator. Mm-hmm. So your brain, everything's, all of the signals come from your brain mm-hmm. to your muscle. And at some point in there, whether it, you're looking at the central governor theory or whatever, the brain is going to limit the amount of signaling to the muscle to protect the muscle so you're not going to overload the muscle when you get tired and get injured yeah so it's a little bit of all three but how much and how is it measured and the measuring is the, the fun part which i get to do relatively often so the first one is emg do you remember what emg stands for electromagnetic uh g stands for so it's, it's a single word it's electromyography oh yeah, that's yeah. Right. which actually it's quite an old it's been around for a long time so you just put a, a sensor on the muscle over the motor unit and pointing at your your bicep at the moment and the motor unit's roughly here and the basic surface emg is what most people use quite often mm-hmm. it's a double sensor so uh, positive and negative mm-hmm. put it over the motor unit and it can measure the output from the muscle yeah and it's still really useful but there are more specific ways of doing so surface emg you can have a there's a different one where you can put a big pad which would cover the whole muscle Mm -hmm. and you can actually see a wave of activation across the muscle okay so the the whole muscle doesn't just activate at one single unit there's different parts of the muscle will activate and it's normally on bigger muscles like, like hamstrings or quads you can see the wave of activation depending on uh, activation level as well okay so go 100 percent it spreads very quickly and all over the muscle mm-hmm. but then if you're just doing 20 percent very easy like mm-hmm. say in a cycling effort you'll see that you, you don't need to activate the whole muscle all at the time so what happens if one was to take the surface emg and spread it over several or one or two muscle groups do you get two different topographies on the well yeah on the, the so that's one of the things I do with, with cycling. So if I've got somebody, I'll do one leg generally. Mm-hmm. We'll do vastus medialis, mm-hmm. the teardrop muscle next to your knee, mm-hmm. lateralis, which is the big muscle, a big part of the cord on the outside. Mm-hmm. 
normally do one of the, the gastrocnemius on your calf okay and then another one on bicep fem femoris because that's pretty easy to find mm. and then when you're cycling you can actually see the timing of each muscle as you go around the the, the bicycling movement the, the pedaling movement so there's the downward part the, but you can see like different activations at different time different levels as well depending on where your foot is in orientation around the pedal mm -hmm. so you would rarely just do a single muscle unless you're just doing a demonstration in the lab you would normally try and look at the activation of different muscles either agonist and antagonist yep. so you, if you're doing bicep you also do tricep and we'll get to this a little bit later that when you talk about how you train your nervous system and then the last one is fine wire electrode fortunately i've never had these done but they on a very fine needle mm. goes into the muscle and then you kind of pull the needle out and then this fine wire electrode stays inside your muscle and it measures a very small but very specific area and it stays in place okay like surface emg it does move around during activity because it's on your skin and your muscle isn't that well attached to your skin so you will see that the the electrode moves in relation to the muscle during an activity so sometimes fine wire electrodes are useful i've never used them but the main thing that we use emg for isn't show the amount of activation of your muscle for a given force normally we tell people to do 100 percent of an isometric contraction so you're trying to you're not actually moving but you're contracting the muscle as hard as possible okay um sometimes quite often you can just do it just like like you're trying to pose like a bodybuilder sometimes mm -hmm. you're just uh, actually pushing against a resistance and then you measure the force now to go uh, back a second can the fine wire be used the the muscle test can it be used with patients in car accidents or uh trauma to see if they have paralysis in their legs or any ligaments after the the fact or is it is it the similar test but more neurological at that point um it would be possible i'm not sure how useful it would be because you can you as we actually get into this you go up the chain okay and you would actually just try and stimulate a nerve yeah yeah okay. or stimulate a muscle yeah, yeah so rather than using emg which isn't as accurate yeah it's it's useful for doing stuff like like I was talking about measuring how your, your muscles okay. interact when you're cycling. But for something as important as that, you have a different battery of tests. Uh, I would imagine, yeah. I just, because the needle test sounds quite precise and it might be, might be useful maybe in, in those situations as well. Or even if when you have a kid and you want to see if the kid can walk later, if he has enough muscle, muscle fibers in yeah. that okay i hadn't thought about it that way actually yeah okay so where are we at so so it's the, you see the amplitude reduce if you're doing this maximal contraction mm -hmm. so the amount of force that you can push but it, it's also related to the amount of amplitude mm -hmm. the actual raw data and the amount of milliampers that you see on the screen isn't really that important it's to do with a percentage okay so so Reduction in force, also reduction in EMG. So that's what you see at the muscle. So there's less input, but exactly how much of the input is just at the muscle, this is where stimulation comes in. Now, stimulation is great fun because you can stimulate the muscle directly or you can stimulate the nerve. 
so let's say one of the experiments I took part in was the equivalent of you know the leg extension in the gym. Mm -hmm. So you're pushing at ninety degrees, mm -hmm. so the, the leg extension is locked in place, mm -hmm. and you're measuring the amount of force that you have. Yeah. So beforehand, you measure your maximal contraction, so you push as hard as you can, but then we don't really know that you're pushing at a hundred percent, and the vast majority of people can't actually get 100% out of their muscle. So we put an electro pad on the, the femoral nerve mm. and then we stimulate the, the muscle. Yep. And it's called an interpolated twitch. And it's not painful, mm. but it's really uncomfortable because you must, you're, you're going at 100%, then you stimulate the muscle a little bit more and then you get an extra 2 or 3%. Okay. Um, I, I used to be able to get pretty close to 100%. So you don't feel much of the twitch once you're at 100 percent but it's a it's a bit of a shock and then you test it again when your muscles relaxed and then you see how much force you get out of it there and then you can sort of the difference between the two can give you an index of how fatigued you are okay um so that's at the nervous level so we know the muscle and then we see how much the nervous system itself is fatigued mm. um so if I stimulate the nerve and get a lower EMG reading or force response, it means that the muscle is fatigued. And you can, you can see that pretty clearly. And it means that there's a deficit in the nerve's ability to innovate the muscle. I think I saw a video on YouTube uh, once about a guy who went from like completely not walking to slowly you saw his progression of training with physiotherapy and stuff to walking. And at one point... He was at the hospital and they had these stimulations pads on his legs or on his thighs and you he had these two bars alongside him to aid him and he held on to the bars and then they would zap him you can see the zaps uh yeah on the legs and he would be able to like kind of push himself twitch himself forward with, yeah. with the with the twitches well i did a it wasn't my experiment i was just uh, helping out in the lab for an experiment with the GB wheelchair rugby team. Okay. Yeah. Those guys, really funny, mm -hmm. said, as you can imagine, these were all, most of them ex-military former rugby players. Yeah. Very fruity language mm -hmm. and said some very non-PC things about each other in relation to their disabilities. Mm -hmm. And I was very shocked because I'm, I'm very PC, very <laughs> woke. Okay. And <laughs> But basically, you know, the Concept 2 rowing machines? Yep. Really popular. They're in most gyms around the world. Mm -hmm. We had a, a special one with, so it was for uh, paraplegics. So no use of their legs, mm -hmm. but we put the same pad that we use for stimulating the femoral nerve, mm -hmm. so two pads on their legs. Mm -hmm. And basically my job was to get up to, and where the femoral nerve is, you have to get uh, very close to your bikini line. Okay. And then, so I have to prepare the skin, shave them, which, uh, yeah, they made me feel very uncomfortable with that. <laughs> um stick the pad on but so you've got uh like a back on the mm -hmm. seat for the the rower so that they can hold themselves up and the idea was that there's a little button on the handle yeah and they can stimulate their own legs mm -hmm. which looked really funny at first because mm -hmm. they don't have much use of it or any use of their legs really mm -hmm. but it helps with blood flow mm -hmm. and cause you can imagine when you're paraplegic you actually have blood flow problems in your legs that can cause other other issues for like health mm -hmm. so to actually get your legs moving and get the blood flow going through is quite good even though they don't have voluntary control of their legs yeah 
but it only took them four, five goes before they got the timing right, mm -hmm. and then they can initiate their legs, and then they can get a rowing movement. When you when you're rowing on the the rowing machine, you can actually you use your legs quite a lot. Yeah, and then these guys, a couple of times, it looked a little bit funny. Yeah, yeah, and then they got the coordination really quick. Yeah, I mean they're athletes; they were they're quite coordinated people yeah, yeah. anyway. But four or five goes, and then they got their legs moving. And I think the study was more about actually the effects of the blood flow. Yeah. But the the interesting part for me was seeing how quickly using muscle stimulation and they can coordinate it so well yeah. and really quick. Then because obviously they'd had the use of their legs before, so they knew what it should feel like. Yeah. And how quickly somebody can learn to use some technology like that was really exciting to watch. One thing that I found common among rugby players, especially wheelchair rugby, I have uh, played with them uh, in America, here in Finland, and then I've met some from Ireland and other countries uh, in some kind of international meetup here. And one thing that I found is all, of, no matter what country they come from, all of their humor is quite similar in, in terms yeah. of how dark it is, yeah, or quite dark. How, how funny they can be. Uh, one time we were at camp, and uh, rugby, if you know about it, the chairs are like mini tanks. Oh yeah, it's like like something out of Mad Max. Exactly. And it looks like, it's like a, a let's say like, what's similar to a basketball wheelchair, but then reinforced and sort of plates over the, the spokes yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it does look like something out of Mad Max. And I remember right. one time I, when I was at the camp for this sports, uh, for the fitness camp, um, I was trying to situate myself into the chair really well and one of the assistants, this huge guy, he had to really put me in the chair, like, like really put me in place very solidly. And I remember he was touching me in like all these random places <laughs> and I was embarrassed and he was like embarrassed but I made the things ten times worse when I said, wow, I, this is the most I have been touched ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but, yeah, this is the most action I've had in a while. Yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> well, just, that's what these guys were saying to me. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'm literally having to shave this guy's bikini line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, and it's not, and I don't even have to. When you're in the lab, they always use the cheapest razors possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it irritates your skin. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, these guys were like going a little higher, a little <laughs> higher. It's like, oh god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's good fun, uh, and it's rugby is one of those sports uh, where on the on the court it's very serious and you can injure yourself. But it takes a mentality, or it takes a certain type of person to even attempt to play that kind of sport. Yeah, it's, um, it's very rough. It's very brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it used to be. I've asked, does it still called murder ball? It is. Yeah. Oh, yeah murder yeah. ball in America at least. Yeah. I, so. Yeah, that would be I th televised murder ball. And yeah. just call it murder ball, and the more yeah. violent the better. The Americans would love it. <laughs> it's a combination of wheel wheelchairs and MMA. One thing that I found is the the how do you say in English the 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 colony yes yeah. of uh, wheelchair basketball and wheelchair rugby. In wheelchair rugby, if you go full speed and you knock the guy and send them flying, the crowd cheers. <laughs> if I did the same thing in wheelchair basketball, it's complete silence. And it's like, 
the referee is blowing the whistle, yeah, you're kicked out of the you're kicked out of the game and <laughs> all of these unsportsmanlike conduct charges and stuff. So it's it's different, yeah. you know. It's what when you talk about the nervous system, especially with like uh, people with nerve problems like like paraplegic. Yeah, yeah. These uh, methods are really useful for determining whereabouts the injury is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's say I can we now move on to sort of stimulating the brain. Yeah. And stimulating the brain always sounds crazier than it really is. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you're too too young to have watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So Jack, Nichol- Jack Nicholson movie, and you see him getting uh, electroconductive therapy. Okay. And electrocuting somebody's brain. Okay. I'm not doing that. Yeah, uh, I think... I read the book actually when I was younger for for English class I believe, and it brought. I think it was during the time when they were trying to treat uh, severe mental illnesses with uh, with those type of well, activities, what right? It, what it came from was from epileptics. Okay. So when somebody has grand mal seizure, okay, you know, we have an idea of what a grand mal seizure looks like. Mm-hmm. It's when you just have this literally a brainstorm of electricity going through their brain yeah, yeah. and it way over overdoes everything but some people say afterwards they feel quite nice and there's quite af- after having a grand mal seizure not everybody but in some cases yeah. it was oh you actually have this sort of feeling of serenity yeah. and stuff afterwards so going back a while they kind of go all right we induce a grand mal seizure yeah and that might help with stuff like depression yeah, this is and what I might, was known for. And it might or actually, might, if we, if the last 60, 70 years, it might actually have some benefit and some validity. Mm-hmm. But we're not actually, when you do uh, stimulation of the brain, mm-hmm. nowadays you don't use electricity. Yeah, yeah. You're using a very powerful directed magnet. Yeah, it makes sense. So it's called transcranial magnetic stimulation. Yeah, it's different. So with this sort of stimulation, you can get the same effect, mm-hmm. but without the horrible side effects of electrocuting somebody's brain. Yeah, and it's it's much more. So I've had it done to me many times. Yeah, and yeah. It's a weird feeling when okay. somebody, especially when they're trying to find the right place on the motor cortex. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm pointing to my head, so roughly around where the crown of your head is, and then coming down the side is your motor cortex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then trying to figure out exactly which part because everybody's going to be slightly different mm-hmm. so trying to figure out which part of your brain stimulates the correct muscle mm-hmm. uh, I think the last one I was doing we were trying to find the, the soleus and the sort of my calf muscles basically mm-hmm. and then they'll be stimulating different parts and then like uh, yeah the right so doing the left side of your brain does the, the right left side of your brain right side of your body mm-hmm. I always have to remember this and then as you stimulate that Sometimes it would be my face would just go, yeah, and then it'd be the arm and it goes, getting closer, and then my leg kicks out, and <laughs> getting getting closer, yeah, and then, and then you don't you can't do exactly perfect, yeah, to just find just the calf, but you get pretty pretty down close, mm-hmm. and then you stimulate that. Do you think with more technology and more precise equations, we will eventually find the uh, corresponding muscles uh, with the brain with with precise accuracy or how far are we away from that? For for sports stuff, I mean, if you had the money mm-hmm. doing an fMRI, a functional MRI, mm-hmm. 
you could figure out pretty closely where to aim for. Mm -hmm. But the trial and error stuff where we're just zapping somebody's brain pretty close to where everybody's different parts of their motor cortex are. Yeah. Is close enough. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, if you look at some of the stuff for people with Parkinson's. Yeah. Now, like having implanted electrodes mm -hmm. to help with the tremors. Yeah. And watching videos of somebody with these implant implanted electrodes, it's it must be life changing when you see somebody with severe Parkinson's mm -hmm. and the, the tremors are really bad and they can barely feed themselves and you see and the box they have is a bit clunky at the moment I've seen these and then they yeah. basically just turn it on and then everything just seems to kind of relax and I can't imagine how exhausting it must be to have those tremors so they have to have these on all the time or? more or less yeah that's and they can turn it on and off, so you might turn it off for bed or whatever. But they have the implanted electrodes, and and it has to go through your your skull. Okay. And skulls are a pretty difficult thing to go through. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. But having the electrode implanted into your brain, yeah, and then you can, and then as the technology moves on, it becomes wireless, and then you just do it with Bluetooth, and it could be a real game changer. I mean, it's also quite dangerous. You have to protect it very well. Well, yeah, because I mean, you you heard about people hacking pacemakers. Well, yeah, so. you can think any kind of brain brain surgery mm. combined with technology, like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, yeah. that sort of thing. That it's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if somebody has enough bad intentions, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's still, it's still yeah. These sort of things are still very rare because they're incredibly mm. expensive. Yeah, yeah, and you have to you have to be really targeted for something for, yeah. for that to 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 I, I, I remember knowing. A new cyclist guy here in Tampere who had uh, Parkinson's, mm -hmm. and when you stop for coffee, you can really see. Mm -hmm. But doing a, a rhythmical exercise like cycling mm -hmm. really helped with his Parkinson's, and he didn't have a tremor when he was cycling. Okay, which was obviously that's all in the brain. Yeah, that is you doing a deliberate movement rhythmically. Yeah, that kind of shut off the tremor. Yeah, so he did. I mean, he was an older guy, so like late sixties, maybe wow. maybe early seventies. Wow, and he was riding like 500 kilometers a week that's really good and doing a lot of cycling sometimes more you know, did it help in his day-to-day -day life to slow down the tumors or is it off the bike it came back to the same base as it was before i think off the bike actually I, I, my finish wasn't so great when i knew him then so ah, I, didn't, okay, okay. I didn't get a, a great deal of detail yeah yeah but it was, it was really interesting to sort of see how he discovered that all right just going out cycling for hours on end even those times cycling were actually a relief from his Parkinson's symptoms. Yeah. Really interesting guy. It's similar to what comes to mind is kids with asthma, they're, they're especially in UK by the NHS, recommended to swim and start swimming regularly. Well, and then the asthma I, symptoms subside this is, more this or less. Me. <laughs> yeah. Because I have asthma. So, yeah. And swimming's a weird one because swimming really seems to help with control of your breathing. Yeah because you have to deliberately control your breathing when you're swimming. So exactly. It's like a learned skill to be able to control your breathing. But one of the downsides is the chemicals they put in the water yeah, can exactly. irritate your lungs. Yep. yep. And so I constantly have this runny nose and sometimes have a cough from swimming. Yeah. So it's a fine balance. And you would say, all right, just swim in open water. When you can actually swim here in Finland, there's so much pollen close to the water. Exactly. I, it's, yeah. it's one of the few times that I really get allergy symptoms here in Finland. Yeah. So even swimming in open water, maybe I should be swimming in the sea. Maybe. Go yeah. to Helsinki. But it smells so bad. <laughs> Helsinki smells bad? No, the Helsinki Harbour. Not Helsinki. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no. if there's anybody from Helsinki, 
Helicity as you smell. Not Helsinki, so. But the you harbor. know you're saying the people from Helsinki smell better. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's what you're saying. No, that's old. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Uh, I don't, oh, no, I don't know anybody from Olu. Uh, yeah. One of the guys in my course is from Ulla. So oh, like okay. Really north. Yeah, yeah. All right, so after some technical problems, we try and come back to. Uh, we're still talking about TMS, wasn't I? And so I might have to repeat the little bit about how sort of finding how the signals from your brain go via your nerves to your muscle, and we can find out which part is getting fatigued. So <laughs> concentrate. Yeah, Stop so looking at the computer. No, so, but now it's good. So now the quality is sound is like amazing. So now, <laughs> I think we should just scrap the podcast and we do it like next time. <laughs> so professional quality. Let's let's move on. So what does yep. it all mean? Why is it important? Yep. Um well, in some cases it's maybe not important, but it's useful. Okay. And especially when like you're when we're talking about people with disabilities and paralysis, this stuff becomes genuinely important, not like sports important. Mm -hmm. Like improving people's lives. I speak for my people. So, <laughs> yeah. But so from this, we know that when someone begins strength training, normally the first four to six weeks, your muscles aren't actually getting stronger. That those strength gains you get in the gym are all just your nervous system. Okay. So stimulate your muscle. It's all exactly the same. Okay. And you can stimulate your muscles over 100%. You still only get 100% of your force. Mm -hmm. So like I talked with this interpolated twitch, you give 100% and then you stimulate on top, you get a little bit of extra force. Okay. Not just the EMG, you get more force out of the muscle. Mm -hmm. And you can do 100% stimulation of the brain, yep. the motor cortex, yep. and you get the same result. You can't go over 100% of your muscles, an individual muscle strength. Mm -hmm. yep. Now, you're too young to watch the, the Hulk TV show mm -hmm. back in the 80s, mm -hmm. Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, I have no idea. Ah, oh, well, one of the things that in the intro to the Hulk, mm -hmm. they talk about the the reason Bruce Banner has so much strength. Obviously, the gamma radiation, yada yada yada. But they talk about this idea that, say, a mother has a baby trapped in a burning car, and then she can just find this superhuman strength mm -hmm. in those situations when she's very stressed. And she can just lift the car and rescue her baby. Mm. Unfortunately, that's nonsense. Yeah. Because somebody's muscles have a, just a physical amount of strength that you can get out of them. Mm -hmm. So you can train your nervous system to get them more, more strong. Okay. And then physically train the muscle. And over time, it gets bigger and stronger. Okay. You can't... And we've found in the lab that if I stimulate your muscle to 200%, right. It's only going to give a hundred percent of force. You can't, you can't get more out of your muscle than you physically. I mean, have. it makes sense though, right? Well, when like... you think about it, in reality, that makes sense. But I know there is this belief that oh, if I can just be motivated enough, mm -hmm. I can get this superhuman strength and I can lift five hundred kilos from the floor. And no, you can't. It, yeah, it's literally you need the nervous system and the muscle strength to become stronger, and you can't just extra motivated a similar corresponding idea that came to mind uh in a different fields where you really, really where you can't get nothing uh, sorry where you can't get something from nothing is in photo editing people 
on TV shows, you see this like CSI and whatever, what have you not. Enhance. And enhance. enhance. And they, enhance. they have this really bad quality photo and they go, enhance, Andy. And then there's like, <laughs> <laughs> and you have these like magic pixels come out of nowhere and just the license plate is red or, or my well, beautiful face is magnified. They have this problem with uh, it's court not how cases. It works. Yeah, court cases, yeah, yeah, yeah. the CSI effects. <laughs> so people have seen exactly. this fictionalised version of yeah, what yeah, yeah. science is. Yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, well, therefore, we should have, you should have DNA, fingerprints, mm -hmm. and you should be able to enhance the photographs. Yeah, and people yeah. are always so disappointed when, oh, no, that's not how real life works. Yeah, and, uh, and actually, the enhancements of any kind of media is particularly if they're bad quality or bad ink quality it's so difficult from every aspect i have yeah. done i have done both enhancements um of audio like mathematically the analyzing frequencies and stuff and also enhancements of photos and also enhancements of videos and i can promise you given having spent loads of hours on just getting 2% better is incredibly difficult. And I would love to say that it's possible to enhance something. But the reality is, similar in muscles, you don't have the requisite to to begin with. You yeah. simply can't well, do it. So one of the things I find with EMG, yeah. so EMG, I'm using surface electrodes on the skin. They come with the electric of gel, Mm. Some of the stuff you use on like uh, ultrasound, ultrani, yeah, and it just helps the the signal. But if I just put them onto my hairy legs, mm. I get a really noisy signal. Mm. And you can use different filters and transforms, and you can clean it up a little bit. Mm. But to actually get really good data, you have to first shave the hairy leg, mm. then you have to sand the dead skin cells off. Okay, and you have no idea how dry your skin is. Mm. Um, until you start sanding it with like a fine grit paper and you see all the dust coming off because oh, no. those dead skin cells, they get in the way. Then you have to clean it with alcohol and getting the right amount of sanding on somebody's leg. Mm -hmm. and you can imagine when I'm doing these wheelchair rugby player guys, mm -hmm. putting the electrodes on and I'm having to sand up near their bikini line mm -hmm. and I'm sanding away. <laughs> and it, look, it felt kind of funny. But fortunately, we were sarcastic enough that it meant... It was all right. Now, is sanding, is it similar to a rug burn? As, as a child, you would get like rug burns from your friend. Is well, it, at, first, it, at first, when you get the first layer off, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel too bad. Okay. And then every so often you go a little bit too deep. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's similar to like a carpet burn. Or, okay. And it's sore. Yeah, okay. And then, and then I have to get the alcohol to clean everything off. Yeah, yeah. and then that burns. And then that hurts as well. And yeah. people... So it takes a bit of skill to try and get the, the skin prepared properly. I don't know. I'm, I'm quite the masochist. I would just be like, no, sand away. <laughs> Bring the alcohol. You know, just give it a go. Well, <laughs> I don't know if this is very PC, but that's where working with paraplegics helps because they don't feel anything down there. And you just like... But you got to be careful with those because the thing is... Because you, then you can actually hurt somebody. Yeah, because the thing is with, with paraplegics, I have a friend who uh, is a basketball teammate. He has, I think, uh, like a leg where he can't feel anything, and he has to be careful of checking it for wounds. Because if he doesn't check it, then he will have end up getting um, what do you call like infections? Infections, exactly. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a different episode that I've thought about doing actually in para sports. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of boosting? 
I know what boosting is from gaming terms. Not, oh, right, no, uh, it's, a, it's a different yeah. different thing where normally in para-athletes, mm -hmm. so normally uh, like paraplegics, so below the waist, and you what you do is you actually inflict some kind of pain mm -hmm. on the leg. Mm -hmm. Now, they're not getting the signal, mm -hmm. but if you're inflicting pain, whether it's from uh, like sitting on like a thumbtack, mm -hmm. so you get that kind of pain, it raises your blood pressure up, mm -hmm. So that can actually improve performance, and it's it's a banned thing. Yeah. But uh, similar to like when uh, so having that kind of pain, you it's something I'll have to look into. But I, rem I remember that as a boosting thing back in the nineties. Okay. Was a as an issue for para sports. Okay. And I think they, they check people now, similar to like they do, like, they like do. checking they do. like like hands, knee, and they stuff to see do. if he's got stuff. They do it, check. Yeah, yeah so I can check verify the checking. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of invasive, but yeah. people will look for an advantage. Yeah, yeah. And they've decided that boosting was what certainly what I was. It might might have a different now, name now. Now, sitting on uh, on top of a, a thumbtack, I know. It, I don't know if it's um, proved to be correct, but uh, to lie your way through a lie detector. Is exactly the, way the to same thing. The same thing, but uh, honestly, lie detectors have no scientific merit whatsoever. Yeah, and, and so nonsense. that's they're nonsense. But uh, I know that FBI and other American organizations they do still use them as a vetting process. And um, the irony, the irony of uh, those kind of vetting processes is that if you don't pass, if you don't pass, or you get a what is it called? Undetermined, or mm. it can't can't be can't be uh, analyzed. You still don't pass. <laughs> so if you, if you, so even though they they they're kind of nonsense, yeah. they're, they're like sort of scientific theater. Yeah, yeah. That it looks very scientific. Mm. They have the the. I'm trying to think. There's various ones. There's one that uh, check the timbre of your voice. Mm -hmm. There's breathing rate. So there's chest strap, mm. skin conductivity. So electric, electric. So yeah. Pupil um, dilation. Pupil dilation. I think uh, uh, blood to be, pressure. To be honest, to, from what I've experienced myself, the the test itself it is what it is. But the test administrator is the one that's the whole process begins as soon as you enter the room. Yeah, and then trying to almost interpret interpreting exactly. beforehand. Exactly. So, the, so there's still interpretation to the results. The intimidation factor, whatever. The the the. The good test proctor will always make you believe that his methods are infallible. Yeah. And that's the best way you can do that. The be the better you can do that, the better you are at getting people to uh, to confess to 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 what you're asking to. Have you had alcohol in your lifetime? Yes. When? Uh, at 16 birthday party. So people who assume or who have this theater uh, pressure behind them they will just, that's the whole point. They admit to uh, things that they are investigating or they're trying to weed out. So uh, have you done weed? Yes. When? How often? All of these things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, of course, I want to be that spy that goes to a different country and goes to the same test. <laughs> that was so fun. Yeah. So as you were, as you were saying, I'll just, just clear up. So to try and pass the lie detector yeah. test, you inflict pain on yourself. Exactly. Because yeah. the lie detector test, can't tell if you're lying. Mm -hmm. It just tells if you're stressed. Exactly. And certain things will cause certain answers will cause more stress than others. Yeah, yeah. So if you're just incredibly stressed, so in enough pain, yeah. 
So whether it's putting a deep heat rub under your armpit mm. or on your genitals or something. So mm. you're in enough discomfort that all of your answers just read as everything is stressed. <laughs> so you're 100% on everything. So it's undeterminable. Exactly. Um, and well, and the other thing was like psychopaths as well, that mm. if you genuine and you see a lot of people nowadays mm. where they genuinely, genuinely believe the lies that they're telling. Mm. And if you genuinely believe it, you're not going to be stressed when you answer. Those are quite dangerous, I, yeah. I, I feel. Yeah. And I think we have we have these types more and more, especially abroad in political power. I was just going to say in politics in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's say for a, a habitual lie like Boris Johnson. Mm. And or even like Donald Trump, habitual mm. liar, that it becomes so easy for them to lie. They would probably pass a lie detector test. Yeah. Because one of the things I heard about politicians is they don't just flip flip flop on what they will genuinely change what they believe. Mm. So like someone like Jacob Rees Mogg in Britain, the the guy who was famous for uh, going out and campaigning mm. with his nanny. Yeah. This was a man in his twenties. Yeah. had a nanny with him to make sure that he was okay while campaigning in Scotland. Okay. And again, uh, he will change what he believes. So it's not actually lying mm. when you ask his opinion on fiscal policy or yeah. trying to destroy poor people or mm. like that sort of thing. He will change what he believes. So yeah, they will be able to pass a lie detector test. So it's kind of nonsense. Yeah. So we're going to actually... Cut off there. I was. I had another part written about cramps. Okay. Because fatigue and cramping is a really interesting thing. Yeah, cramps. Uh, we can definitely re return to cramps next time because uh, we get them a lot. <laughs> we're going to return swimming. to cramps. We're going. We we get them a lot in swimming as well. Yes. And uh, I think and it's and cramps are very related to fatigue. I don't want to go. Yeah. Go into it too much, but we'll do a different episode on cramping. Yeah. Well, we can continue the same idea next in the beginning and as we promised and then yeah. hopefully this sounds better but uh thank you so much yes we'll stop here we'll stop here and i'll say thank you very much for listening and we love you we do not no yes we do no <laughs> <laughs>